Guys and girls, thank you for being here. This is, so this is our new spot for now. And the long story short of it is we are in a global pandemic and the government changes their mind every two weeks. And so this is where we are for now and for the foreseeable future. So thank you for your flexibility. That is the dream. We have a community who is just mobile and flexible. So thank you so much. Um, all right, two quick updates before we get started. We had our first beach day of the summer fall yesterday. Who was there? It was so fun. Okay, now here's what we just failed at with the beach day is we never really had a formal boogie board contest organized, but we should have had trophies and prizes and just the showers of celebrations because there was a boogie board contest. And there is a family that moved here from Wisconsin about seven, eight months ago, the Snyders. And I just want to say, if there was a winner to that contest, it was Shelly Snyder from Kenosha, Wisconsin, who has never boogie boarded and probably caught like a six foot wave. I mean, everybody was freaking out. It was so fun. So, okay, in, in all serious matters. Um, we have been in our Who We Are series. And really the essence of the Who We Are series, uh, we kind of see it as taking a step backwards to go forward, right? So we want to step back and, and recenter on the values God has called us to as a community, and then reshape and reform mission and purpose and identity around that for going forward, all right? So things are changing and we just think, man, what a good idea to just take a moment, remember what God has asked us both as Genesis and the church to do before we go forward. So that's what we're doing, all right? And I am, I'm talking on worship tonight. Um, Chris gave me the title, Who We Are, colon, The Songs. And I'm like, all right, all right, cool. Um, I have spoken on worship a lot here. And so as I was praying through it a bit, I really want to hone in on that essence of who we are as worshipers. Not just what we do, not even just how we do it, and not even honestly so much the songs, though that is apparently the title of my message, but who we are as worship leaders. And so kind of as I was praying through this weekend, I was asking the Lord, like, what can we do as a Genesis community to really fight the prevailing culture of, you know, I worship on Sundays, and then I go throughout the rest of my week, and then again, I worship on Sundays. I mean, to any reader or writer of the Bible, any ancient person, that would have been completely unfathomable. If you look even now today, if you go over to Thailand, these people, or Indonesia, or Tibet, you see an Eastern culture that everything everybody does is worship. Like, nothing's not worship, right? They can't have somebody in their home or leave their home without giving a blessing. They don't get on a bike or take a bite to eat or get on a boat, whatever, without giving an offering. Every bit of life is an act of worship. We often forget, though, that Judaism and Christianity were birthed into this Eastern context. Well, before there was even a Western context. But this Eastern context where everything was worship. Our coming and our going, our waking and our sleeping, the way we share a meal with friends, our kind interactions, the way we work, the way we clean, it's all Worship. So to any hearer of this good news, for it not to affect their everyday, breath by breath, step by step, would have been completely unfathomable. All right? So my hope today is that we really do, um, as Ben just read, Romans 12 over us, 
that moment of our lives as true and proper worship. Um, all right, so where are we going? I hope you know by now, worship is not just the songs we sing, all right? And we were going to go through the three Ps of worship. I thought this was really clever. We were going to talk about purity and praise and the prophetic. And I was going to go through some, so uh, some of the old uh, freedom songs from the slaves when they were singing these songs of freedom 150 years before they were even free. Like, wow, that is so beautiful. But as I continued to prep, I just couldn't get past Romans 12, what, what Ben just read over us. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read it over you again. And uh, I read the NLT, so it actually says brothers and sisters, just so you know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read it over you. While I read it over you, just take a moment to really meditate on this scripture, word by word. It's short, but take it in. Romans 12.1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true and proper worship. I'll read it over you one more time. Just let it just marinate you tonight. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true and proper worship. Now the essence of what Paul is getting at here and what I just really couldn't get past is purity. Do our lives naturally reflect a good God? Do we naturally lift praise in our everyday coming and going, eating and sleeping? Paul's echoing uh, Proverbs, well, not just Psalms 24, but King David in Psalms 24, when, he, when King David says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The one who does not trust in idols and who does not swear by a false god. Essentially what they're getting at is that this life and all of its earthiness and all of its messiness and all its very real humanness is your true and proper worship, all right? Okay, open your Bibles if you have them or your phones, your U versions, whatever you use, to Isaiah 6. That's going to be the passage we're going to be in for the rest of the night. And uh, yes. Now unfortunately, I know when we talk about purity, it can really carry this almost negative connotation, right? Um, I know growing up for me, this idea of purity was like, whoa, you're so pure, just holier than thou, right? You're so good. That's really not where we're going tonight. This is a beautiful gift. Another uh, unfortunate association with purity is that it's always and only, I'm speaking relatively, associated with sexuality. That's all about sexual purity. And yes, that's a very, very, very good thing, sexual purity. But I think tonight's conversation is a little bit deeper and a little bit wider than just that, all right? Now, a disclaimer before we even get into Isaiah is um, the Lord has been working in my heart the last couple of years specifically on this um, journey of purity. And yes, I am redeemed. Yes, I am made alive in Christ. I have the image of God in me, but... I am extremely human. Just ask my wife or any of my friends, okay? So I don't speak to you today in this hierarchical position of like, yeah, look at me, so pure and perfect. And no, like not at all. This is a very real struggle as a human being, but it's something that I believe we can grow into. 
And so that's just, I want you to know tonight, perfection, sorry, purity does not mean perfection, all right? So we'll just start there. We do need grace. <laughs> but um, it was specifically my sophomore year of college uh, at Vanguard that I got asked to be a worship leader there. And I was super honored. I love Vanguard. I love the community there. And just to get to lead them in worship every week was such a gift. Um, but I had yet to really have a revelation of this beautiful gift of purity. And I remember one night as I was um, coming back from class, I was on sixth floor, no, fourth floor with Caleb Ashers. Uh, and everyone, I don't know why, like, guys, Christian college dorms are just a bunch of, like, running around naked and throwing balls at each other. And I don't know, it's just weird. And I, I, I walk in on one of those scenes, all right? <laughs> it's a fun, wild night. And the, <laughs> and the essence of what happened is I was in a conversation with somebody, I don't really remember what, but we're kind of joking and picking on one of our friends. And at some point or another in the conversation, I just give him a big fat middle finger and a very enunciated F U, like all letters included. And one of the guys on our floor with us, I don't think he was trying to shame me necessarily, but he was like, whoa, can you believe that's our worship leader? I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I was really suddenly faced with how segregated and separate my life was. That I assumed kind of what I did on a worship stage was one thing, and then what I did on my floor with my guys was another thing. It was, it was just, I, I started to realize how much weight my witness really carries. And then over the last six years or so, um, the Lord's been connecting a lot of those dots of just areas in my life that have remained separate from one another. Sorry, this kind of breathes a lot. <laughs> um, but at the end of last year, one of my really close friends, she's been a sister to me for a long time, moved back to town, and we were on a walk right over here at Back Bay, right there at Back Bay. And uh, we just were catching up. What's up? How's life? How you doing? How's the boy situation and all that, you know? She was getting married at the time. And um, we started sharing, and there became this very sacred moment to the conversation. We sat down on a park bench, and I, I honestly don't use this just to be poetic or anything like that, but we sat down, and her words carried this like irresistible fragrance. She's always been a very gifted and like amazing leader, but I could tell God was shifting something deep. Her conversations were different. She was in grad school. It wasn't all about what she had just learned. It wasn't about just how radical the supernatural is. I mean, all those things are really good, but there was an awareness in her that God is doing something so big and so good on this earth. That God is restoring justice to the oppressed and the poor. He's taking all of our chaos and, and ordering it from this fallen world into newness, into goodness. He's taking our broken systems and our broken structures and our misuse of power and putting them all back in their right place. I mean, it was like she had zoomed out 100,000 feet and was seeing something that I just couldn't see, and probably many of us, especially given the climate of our world right now, right? It's, it just seemed distant. But then she gave me this reminder that this move of God is so holy and so pure that it exposes any bit of dirt. And often we need to see it in our lives first. 
And now here's the thing, both of us tend to have a very guilty conscience at times. <laughs> and I just expected her to be very somber and upset about just discovering a lot of the dirt and junk and sin in her life. But that wasn't the case at all. Like she lit up in that moment. She was full of grace and authority and humility. And then she read Isaiah 6 over me. And so if you guys' Bibles are open there, I just want to read that with you now. It's going to be the text we're going to be in for the rest of the night. <clears throat> Isaiah 6. This is a vision of Isaiah. We'll start, um, the prophet Isaiah, we'll start in verse 1. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six weeks, wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people of filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now catch, this is beautiful. This is what changed it for me. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. I mean, this is a beautiful moment in the, in the visions of Isaiah that radically changed worship for me. I mean, I can easily relate to Isaiah, right? I look back to my sophomore year especially and think, man, I am a man of effing filthy lips, apparently. <laughs> I am a man who is so human that at times I just fall to these patterns of sin. But how beautiful is it that God so deeply wants to use us in his plan to redeem the entire world. To forgive every sin, wipe every sin clean, wipe every tear from every eye, to bring death, to bring life from death. He wants to use us in that, but he needs a people of pure hearts and clean lips. In Isaiah's vision, as the seraphim are worshiping, and they're crying out, holy holy, holy. Isaiah is encountered with that holiness. And in that moment, he becomes well aware that anything we try to exchange for goodness or beauty or holiness in place of God's original design is in fact dirty and impure in the light of God's presence. His first reaction when he recognizes his, the filthiness in his life is not, oh God, Oh, God, like these people and this nation and, oh, my gosh, are leaders of this nation right now. No, he's like, God, it's me. I'm the sinful one. I'm the one with filthy lips. And so the seraphim comes and he brings a burning coal and places it on the lips of Isaiah, purifying him, refining the ungodliness out of his life and forgiving his sins. And this is not a shameful moment whatsoever. 
some of us are here today like, yeah, but dude, like Isaiah was a prophet to the nations. How bad could he be, right? And like the six chapters before, that seems like pretty good stuff. <laughs> and I mean, if he's got filthy lips, then I'm a freaking dumpster. And I know the hidden shame in my life. I know how many people I've hurt. I know the secret sins in my life. <laughs> but here's the thing. You and I and each of us have the same gift in us that Isaiah had. That we were made in the image of God. Each one of us created with the image of God. When God created you, he put his image in you so that when he looks at you, he sees himself. Each and every one of us. So that means when God looks at you, he sees someone who can actually release change and make a difference in this world. Regardless of who you are, when God looks at you, he sees someone who can show others how to live a life full of glory, not gluttony. He can see someone who seeks the poor and oppressed rather than pleasure and opulence. When God looks at you, he sees someone who was created to comfort the brokenhearted, not conform to the brokenness of this world. And when God sees you, he sees somebody who actually believes our people and our cities can be defined by death, by life from death, not lust from desires. That's who God sees in you because that's who he is. And that's what he's put in you. So honestly, this crap theology, and I don't have a better name for it other than this crap theology that's just like, oh God, I'm nothing. Like, I'm just not worth anything of you, and, and why would you want anything to do with me? Like, that theology has to go. It's so untrue. Like, will we continue to allow ourselves to believe that somebody who is made in the image of God who is God's prized possession and the pinnacle of all of creation, as Genesis tells us. Someone who God calls very good and never goes back on that. Will we continue to believe a lie that that person isn't worth redemption? Like you are so deeply loved by God that he will stop at nothing to make sure you don't have to die to the sin and evil corruption of this world. In fact, you are so loved by God that he would send his only son to take on the entire punishment of the sins and the shame of this world that we've caused to us and everybody around us. Like we have been given such a righteous and holy and good inheritance. It's so wonderful, yet we live like it's just a myth. Many of us, not everyone, that's for sure. I know Peter definitely doesn't. <laughs> but we cannot continue to just live like this is a myth that we have inherited such a righteous and holy purity from God. But we do need to be made holy. We do need to be purified. We do need to be constantly refined because this move of God is so good and so holy that nothing is worth compromising. God actually deeply longs to use each and every one of us on this earth for his kingdom to come to earth. But he needs a people who are way more compelled by the beauty of his bride. It's pretty loud. <laughs> he needs a people who are way more compelled 
by the beauty of his holiness, his purity, and his redemption. Not a people who are allured by the earthly ways of hypocrisy and promiscuity and rebellion. In fact, the entire Proverbs are just line after line of learning to love correction. Proverbs 10, 17. Accept, accept correction and you'll find life. Reject correction and you'll miss the road. Proverbs 3.12, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. I know the parents can very closely relate. The correction comes from deep, desired love for each of us. In fact, learning to love correction is one of the most beautiful gifts God gives us because it actually helps me wake up to like, oh my gosh, I don't have to live in this just habitual pattern of sin anymore in my life. Like, I don't have to live in this belief that I'm just not enough or can't help God in any way. It is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Now, um, a little bit on character. I don't know. I just think it's the most amazing thing that God actually wants to work on our character. I think that's so incredibly profound and beautiful. Like, God is not super concerned that we just follow a bunch of rules, we just check more boxes to earn more love, but that God actually wants to create in each and every one of us a pure heart that loves generosity. We've been the recipient of so much generosity in our lives, and I'm so thankful for those people who love to be generous. A person who loves others so much that they don't even want to lead them into destructive sin. A people who love to be grateful and love to lift praise. God wants to create in us a people who care for the lost and forgotten of this world. Those who are just the fringe of society or apparently don't matter as much because they don't have a roof to put over their heads. And this isn't just because, you know, if you don't follow this or else, but it's because this is the fire in your bones. It's the reason you wake up in the morning. It's your joy for living. It's the purpose you always wished you had but never did. <laughs> and now I also want to like be very clear on this. This is not like, hey, look at me. I was once dead and now I'm alive because of all these sinful practices I did. And you should see how many hungry people I fed and all these people I've led to Jesus. No, <laughs> that is often, no. This is a humbling before the Lord. God, it is all for your glory. I'm a sinful man. And left to my own accord, I have filthy lips. I constantly turn my back on you. I constantly live in patterns of sin. In fact, I constantly reject your unfailing love for my life. But you still call me worth it. You still want me. And you still want to redeem me. You still love me, so God, you can have it all. My life, let it be my true and proper worship. Freely I've received, so freely I give. Now, this is a new, well, ancient reality of worship that extends so far beyond the songs we sing. But how much better are the songs we sing when they are written and sung by these kind of people, right? Like, how much better are the songs we sing when God is moving so deeply in a church (laughs) 
that the songs that just naturally come out of it are about purity and praise and restoring justice and God, do more, do it again, set the captives free, keep on doing it. That's the kind of worship culture I pray for for Genesis and that I see in each and every one of you. Because you have the image of God in you. You are a very good human being who is so deeply loved and so deeply worth redemption. Now, back to Isaiah, because I will definitely forget that. <laughs> so Isaiah is purified. Um, his guilt is wiped clean. Sins forgiven. As the seraphim lays the burning coal on his lips... And his response is, send me, God. Send me. Because I know who I am. And I know who you are. And I have the image of God in me. So when people see me, they're going to see you. And when they hear me, they're going to hear you. Because I've been purified. The way I talk, the way I act, the way I love, it's different. And, I mean, I don't know if you've looked outside of this parking lot at all, but, like, we need people who can love differently than supposedly what the cultural uh, norm or expectation is. It's beautiful, guys. We don't have to live in this world or this thought of thinking where I'm actually too small and too sinful to actually help God. Like, we don't have to live in this lie <laughs> that we aren't enough or worth God, and instead, he's just like holding us over some pit of fire waiting to drop us in just the moment we mess up, right? Like, that sounds like freedom to me. That's freedom. Are you guys there? It's very quiet. I hear sound just gets lost in the outdoors, so maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> but we do need grace. I, I, I want to make that so clear. We need grace because we are perfect, and we won't be perfect, and God doesn't expect us to be perfect. As I said earlier, purity does not mean perfection. <laughs> we absolutely need grace, right? Proverbs 24 is so comforting me in this moment. It says, the righteous fall down seven times, but they rise again. However, the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Notice, it's not just the wicked who fall, right? Like, it's the righteous who fall down seven times. And that's the number for completion. I mean, every time I hear that, I just hear like, I get knocked down, when I get up again, you're never gonna give me down. All right, six more. You know, it's like, it is this grace not to be rebellious, but to be fully, fully, fully human. Making our way ever along the way to a lifestyle of purity. In fact, <laughs> it is our permission to desperately need the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God every morning when we get out of bed. Because it's this grace and your mercy that will change your life, not your strong-willed expectations and big muscles. It's grace and mercy that will change your appetite for rebellion and your desire for new pleasures and opulence far beyond what God asks of you. See, the, there is a beauty in being able to stand before God with nothing to hide. But this doesn't mean we just stand before God with nothing to hide when there is no sin to hide. It means we stand before God in the reality of our sin, in the reality of our brokenness, with nothing to hide and with fully repentant hearts, recognizing our need for grace and mercy of God. Because honestly, if worship is just the songs we sing on Sunday, if purity 
is just not having sex until you're married. If freedom just leaves me slightly more changed than I would be otherwise, then honestly I'm like, I'm just not compelled. I'm just not compelled. But if you're telling me that purity is actually possible, that I don't have to live in these habitual patterns of sin that just leave me, just lead me towards destruction. I mean, the stuff we see happen in everyday real-time life. If you're telling me that through making much of Jesus in everything I do on this earth, I can actually help God in his plan to redeem the earth of all of its sin and bring kingdom to earth, then now you've got me. I'm in. I don't want this to be a thing where we just cast doom on everything that we've done wrong. No, I want to create a beautiful, uh, Joelle was praying wherever she is, we're just praying a canvas earlier, of just of a beautiful picture where we're way more compelled by the picture than anything going on around the picture. Not just haranguing what we've done wrong. But this is my challenge to us today, Genesis. Can we be a people, a prophetic people who are like, yeah, God, we believe you can set captives free, so we're just going to live free now so that people know what it looks like. Like, yes, God, we believe that you can change the, and heal the hardest of hearts. So we're just going to live with open and correctable and pure hearts now so that people can see what God can do in a person's life. Yes, God, we actually believe it is possible to see every knee bow at the name of Jesus. So <laughs> we are just going to make much of Jesus in everything we do in our lives. Why? Because there are broken and hopeless and hurting people in this world who need to know that there is a hope worth putting their life in. And we carry that. Adam Hurlson calls worship our holy no in his book, The Holy No. It's our no to the kingdoms, the powers, the principalities of this world, our no to the sin and the things that just lead us into destructive behaviors in this world. But the opposite is also extremely true. <laughs> it's our yes. It's our yes to a good God whose beauty and holiness and purity is far more compelling to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This Genesis is our true and proper worship. Now I realize that I'm wrapping up. We're going to worship in a moment um, to songs. <laughs> um, I recognize that this can easily just become a list of Good things and bad things, yeses and no, rights and wrongs. I think if that's where we landed with this, if, if that's kind of where we stopped, I think we'd just really miss, we'd really miss pleasing God. We'd really miss the point of worship. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you three practices for this week. You can literally go practice them in your life as we leave here. Three practices of being pure and holy people who live lives of worship, all right? So if you're taking notes, one, two, three. This is easy. This is good. We were on a Zoom call with a guy named Bill Goltier, a spiritual formation therapist guy this week. 
And he had this simple and beautiful line. Don't just try, train. Don't just try, train. If we just try things once in a while, and just dabble here and there, they just won't find a home in our heart. But if we create rhythms that turn into patterns, that then turn into lifestyles, we will live a life where we are just living second nature in a way that honors and loves ourselves and God and the people all around us. So don't just try, train. Practice, practice these, um, I'll go through some more practices here in a second, but practice them on a daily basis, the best that you can, but have grace for yourself. You will fall at least seven times, apparently. <laughs> but you will get back up. All right, number two. Everyday acts of resistance and renewal, okay? Everyday acts of resistance and renewal. What are the things in your life that help you say no to powers and corruptions of this world and yes to a God who's going to redeem all that anyway? What are the patterns in your life that help you say no? We've been seeing this a ton in the protests lately. We are standing as an act of resistance against the injustice, against the powers of corruption and sin in our world. But also, what are the things in your life that help you say yes? What are the things of renewal? Maybe it's serving our city. I mean, same as a million ways that we can get involved serving in our city. What does it look like to tell somebody the good news of Jesus? And like actually the good news of Jesus? <laughs> right? There's a, okay, we're just going to do a lot of messages on that one. <laughs> However, uh, resistance could also be practicing abstinence, practicing abstinence from the things in our life that we know kind of lead us towards sin in those ways. So what are your everyday acts of resistance and renewal? And then the final one, um, this is a teacher who's just very near and dear to my heart, Marty Solomon. He says, if you create a space, God will fill it. If you create a space, God will fill it. How can we create space in our everyday lives for worship, for connection, for unity, for love with God? Maybe it is serving. Maybe it's in the mornings taking some time for silence and solitude, and you don't even have to pray, but just allowing God to minister over you. Maybe it is turning on some music and just getting out of your chair and just worshiping or journaling. Whatever it is, what are the patterns of your life that help you see the beauty of God in your life and in this world, and then ultimately say yes to it. So these are just three ways this week, starting now, that we can just orient our lives towards becoming a people of purity and holiness. Doesn't mean perfection. Doesn't mean you can't screw up. <laughs> it means you have permission to need grace and pursue holiness and purity all along the way which is, I promise, so much more compelling than anything else that tries to allure or attract us, all right? So let's pray together. We're going to worship in a moment. But Jesus, we just want to say thank you. We thank you that your good news goes so far beyond what we try to put it in, in words, that you actually long to create in your people a heart that loves generosity and compassion, that sees the broken and the hopeless, that sees those with none and gives them some. God, we thank you that you love to work on character, that you are not just a transactional God who ultimately just wants a robotic group of people who know how to do 613 laws really, really well, 
but you love your people and want to see them become fully human and that the way they live would turn our earth into the kingdom, into the kingdom of God. And so, Jesus, we just pray, have your way in us. Keep our hearts open. Keep us correctable. Show us the beauty. Give us revelation this week of purity and holiness. If it really is so much better than what the world has to offer, then, Lord, will you reveal it in our hearts? Give us a revelation of that beauty this week, God. We love you so much, Jesus. And now we just worship, lifting praise, lifting songs to you, just believing that you are good and you are worthy of praise and you can and you will redeem us from every sin.